So over the last uh, month, we've been looking at a a series entitled The Gravity of God's Grace. And we've, in the last three weeks, we've looked at a lot of different ways that God's grace is just surrounding us and penetrating us. Uh, You think about what gravity is and how it basically allows us to exist in the way that we exist. We often don't notice it or hardly ever notice it. Uh, It's the same way with God's grace. And tonight I wanted to focus on the way that our creator interacts with us. That we serve a God who interacts. And in order to do this, we're going to look at the story of Hosea. First three chapters in the book of Hosea. Uh, If you got a Bible, we're just really going to land there and go through it. you know, in, in order to understand the story of Hosea, you got to understand, you got to recognize that it comes in multiple layers. It plays out in multiple accounts. Um, let's just uh, read the first couple of verses, and then we'll get into it. So, Hosea, verses chapter one, verse two and three. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom." For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. So this is the first layer that we got to analyze. Hosea and Gomer. Man, what a call from God, huh? He calls Hosea to go and marry a prostitute who will continue to prostitute herself to other men while they are married. The verses that follow talk about her children only one of which is attributed to Hosea. So why would God call Hosea to do something as hard and as miserable as this? Here's the second layer. Let's look at verse 2 again. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. God is using Hosea and Gomer as a symbol to show how Israel has behaved towards their God. You know, give me, let me give you a little bit of history. For about 700 years prior to this, God redeemed Israel from their bondage in Egypt and entered into a covenant with them. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 explains the covenant. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. So we see here that God redeemed Israel for a relationship so that they could be his treasured possession, a lot like a wife. But they choose over and over to live a life of whoredom, to chase other gods and prostitute their lives and the lives of their kids to objects made of wood and stone. You know, the names of Gomer's kids, if you continue to read in the first chapter of Hosea, are symbolic for the consequences that are going to come on Israel for their unfaithfulness. You know, God carries it out in 722 B.C. through Assyria. But there's a third layer as well, one that's far more applicable to us. God created humanity, you and I, for a relationship. We have been designed to intimately know our Creator. Take a moment and think about that. We have been designed to intimately know the one who made us. To live out our days experiencing his delight for us and trusting in his guidance. We are designed to be his bride. But we have acted a lot like, Omer, a lot like Gomer. 
Instead of remaining faithful, we scurry through the night and days and seeking to find fulfillment, contentment, and joy through other lovers. Think about money, approval of others, pleasure-seeking, right? The list goes on and on. Instead of staying true to the one that made us, we played the whore forsaking the one that we were created to be intimate with. I know this is a heck of a way to start off a talk. This is where I felt God was taking us out. You know, but the interesting thing is the symbolism, I think, even goes deeper than what we just looked at. God was using Hosea and the unfaithfulness of Gomer to illustrate his relationship with humanity and how it felt to be the faithful groom. So think about the video we just watched. Think about that individual walking and seeing what he saw. You know, imagine what it must have been like to be Hosea. The heart-wrenching pain and sorrow he must have felt as he searched the streets at night looking for the wife who continually ran to other men. As people mock this man of God who had a whore for a wife and children not even his own. You know, it seems to me that God must feel the same way. His love for what he has created is so strong. Like Hosea, he knew what we would do to him, but he still created us, desiring to have an intimate type of love with you and me for however long we live on this earth. But for 15, 20, 30, 40, 64 years, and the millennia that humanity has existed, he has witnessed the lack of love and our blatant betrayal. So in the way that Gomer's unfaithfulness broke Hosea's heart, our continuous pursuit of other lovers brings a similar heartache to our God. So the next question, how does the faithful and just husband react to a wife of whoredom? Let's go back to Hosea and see what he does. You know, Hosea has the option, according to the law, that's what God gave to Israel through Moses from Mount Sinai, um, to have her stoned. Deuteronomy 22, 22. If a man is caught lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman as well as the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. So it's fully in Hosea's hands to have her removed from his life. But let's see what he does. Hosea 2.2. Hosea talking to his kids. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Most likely in the way that she's acting that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breast. You know, we see that because Gomer won't listen to him, Hosea asks her children to beg to their mother to stop what she's doing. He's doing everything he can to get her to turn back to him. If she's not willing to listen to them, then the consequences will increase. Let's keep going in Hosea 2, verses 3 through 6. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and turn her into a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no pity because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my other lovers and they will give me my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path. So we see that Hosea, her husband, is going to remove her provisions from her. So think about the roof that's over her head. 
the food that's on the table, the clothing and the oils that she really enjoys. If she's not willing to remain faithful to him, then she's going to lose the benefits of the covenant of marriage. But what's key to recognize here is that his end goal is not for her to be abandoned and destitute. Check out verse 7. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, Hosea, for it was better with me then than now. So he has the ability to just to have her killed due to her sin, due to her choices. But we see that his ultimate desire in the punishment of cutting her off is for her to return to him, understanding that he is the source of the good that was in her life. So let's go a little bit deeper. Let's look at you and I. I believe that God's approach to us is no different. As we continue to be unfaithful to our creator and seek fulfillment, contentment, and joy, those are like the main things we seek after in this life. Through, th- through other things and people, he allows us to go deeper and deeper into our betrayal. Consequences of free will. If you want to do that, you're free to do it. But he allows us to happen so that we can understand the emptiness of the things that we pursue. You know, I got my story and most of you in here have yours as well. You know, we could talk about whether it's pleasure seeking like for me or money or the approval of others, right? We all have our things that we desired and we sought with everything we had. You know, we assume like Gomer, Israel, and every other person that have ever lived that our deepest sense of fulfillment, contentment, and joy comes from things of this world, right? Hosea 2.8, looking at Gomer's mindset, she did not know that it was I, God, or Hosea, who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished upon her silver and gold that they used for Baal. We so often think and believe that we and the things around us and the people in this world are what give us what we most truly desire. But in order to get our attention and bring us back to truth, God removes certain forms of his grace from our lives. Hosea 2.9, Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. You know, I believe a major way that God does this for us is by allowing us to simply rely rely on the incomplete and broken things of this world. Pleasure, money, others and their approval, our own logic. Eventually, sometimes days, sometimes years, we recognize how unsatisfied we are and we long for something that can offer us more. You know, as we hit these breaking points, God does not mock us or shake his head in condescending judgment. He does the exact opposite. He allures us back to him. Check out verse 14 in chapter 2. Therefore, this all starts with God, I will now allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So this is most likely coming to Israel. And think about what the wilderness was for them. When they were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness, it was to know God. It was the birth of their nation. So the wilderness is very much a positive place. 
you know, if you look at the definition of allure, it means to powerfully attract or charm. This speaks so strongly of God's intense love for humanity. When we are at our lowest state due to our own foolish choices, God steps in and powerfully attracts us back to him, the source of all goodness. And what he offers is incredible. And we're going to look at it. But in order for this to take place, we have to be redeemed from the auction block. Let's go back to the story of Hosea and Gomer. Chapter 3. This is the first two verses in there. And the Lord said to me, speaking to Hosea again, Go, love a woman, Gomer, who has a lover and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Don't worry, God loves raisins and cakes. I promise you that. This is what they used to do in pagan sacrifices. That's my thought anyway. Verse 2, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley and a measure of wine. Take a moment and think about this. Real life situation, Jose and Gomer were just like you and I, living a long ways away, a long time back, but the same mindset, same style of emotions. So as Gomer continued in her pursuit of other lovers, Hosea cut her off from protection and provision. Instead of turning back to Hosea, Gomer went further down her road of whoredom until she ended up for sale, most likely stripped naked on an auction block. Her own foolish choices had chained her to destruction rendering her a prisoner to the debt that she could not free herself from. But God tells Hosea to go and redeem her, to pay her debt and bring her home again and his wife. And this is a level of love that is very rarely ever expressed. To bear the weight of social shame, think about Hosea, to buy your wife from a pimp's auction block and then restore her to a place of dignity in your home is far beyond reason. You know, in terms of God and Israel, God treated Israel in a very similar fashion. After Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians and they were hauled away to Babylon, he works it out so that way they can return to freedom in their homeland. You know, but for you and I, the uh, connection is much more real. You know, we have all been chained to the auction block. Due to our own choices to rebel against our creator's pr- perfect design for this world, we are prisoners to a debt that we cannot free ourselves from. Eternal separation from the perfect. Whether you are stripped naked like Gomer or dressed to your nine, right? we all go through it in different ways, your soul is a slave to death, the just punishment for rejecting our creator. But instead of leaving us bound to the consequences of our choices, God himself steps in to pay our debt. The price of our freedom is a sacrificial death of another, someone that is without fault able to bear the weight of all of humanity's corruption. Jesus willingly chains himself to our auction block so that way we can be brought back into the presence of our creator, redeemed and restored. You know, I know this is so easy, especially those of us that have been in church for a long time to just glaze over, but and you got to really consider what it was like 
for Jose and Gomer. That's why this exists in the Bible. You know, there's a handout in front of you. It's a narrative um, that's been written up of Jose and Gomer. I encourage you to read that uh, at some point today or tomorrow, just so that way you can really kind of on a more emotional level understand what it was like for Hosea to go through what he went through and where Gomer was. Because it's the same way with God and it's the same way with us. You know, the benefits after we've been freed from that auction block are far more than simply avoiding punishment and sheepishly living out eternity, hiding in the corner of heaven because we know how bad we are. You know, let's check out Hosea 2, 19 and 20. And the first three chapters of Hosea are full of explaining Hosea and Gomer's faults and his struggle with her, but there's so much talk of redemption. So in verse 19, and I will take you for my wife forever. That's Israel. That could be you and I. I will take you for my wife in righteousness. That's his righteousness, but it's also our righteousness that is bestowed upon us due to Christ stepping in. And in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. It expresses God's heart towards us, even in the midst of our whoredom. And I will take you from my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Because of what Jesus did, we can be restored into an intimate relationship with the almighty maker of heaven and earth to become his treasured possession. It's incredible. You know, as I was kind of praying and thinking through this over the last few days, I felt like I wasn't supposed to end it just on this. You know, for those of us who have been redeemed from the auction block, according to the Bible, we now live eternally unified with God, his bride forever. The covenant cannot be broken. However, our whorish tendencies still exist. We still long to be satisfied by other lovers. We seek fulfillment, joy, and contentment. I say that over and over, but I think that's really what we seek in this life. We seek these things from things of this world. Friends, family, people at work, strangers, money, physical pleasures. Even though we have been redeemed from slavery and reunited with our creator, we often forget the good that has been done for us and fall back into our old mindsets. You know, of course, as I was going through this, God gave me something very practical to apply to my own life. You know, over the last few years, probably my entire life, it's become apparent to me that I seek uh, the notion of worth through other people's approval. It's just kind of one of those fleshly tendencies that I continually come back to. You know, and about a year ago, for the last few years, God's continually been working in my life and pointing it out to me and giving me ways that I I can correct it and, and working within me to correct it. About a year ago, he put a phrase, it's half of a proverb in my mind and it's stuck with me this entire year. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Right? Don't focus on yourself. Listen. Be slow to speak. This is not about you. It's about other people. Be slow to speak. Come to God instead of continually pushing your own thoughts and your own logic out into the world. You know, and just two days ago, God made it even more apparent that I am continuing to do this. You know, a person that I respect sat me down and just showed me that I tend to dominate conversation with my own thoughts, with my own opinions. You know, and this just broke me. 
You know, it, it's, it broke my heart and caused me to believe that this is just the way that I am, something I've been trying to get over for a long time, and apparently this isn't something that I cannot escape. Um, but this was not the end because that is not how God works. You know, the following day, yesterday, as I was cleaning the cab and I was listening to some music, and through this song, the first one I was listening to, God lures me back to him. You know, he brought me to a place of utter surrender, reminding me of his power to overcome my fleshly desires, to reshape my mind, to give me the strength to shut up and to listen. That even though these things are so deep within me, he's even deeper. And that he can transform and will transform who I am so that way I become more like he created me to be. It has nothing to do with me other than my utter surrender to him. It was such a beautiful moment of freedom that I experienced. And it was due to God interacting with me in that moment. You know, I know all of you struggle with your own tendencies to pursue things other than God. It's just a part of who we are. It's a battle that we continually fight and it pulls us away from what is truly good. And it seems it'll be a battle we'll fight for the rest of our lives. Even though we have been redeemed, our soul is united with God in heaven and we'll be there forever. The battle still exists for us here and now. But what we see from God, about God through Hosea is that he will continually interact with you by showing you your faulty pursuits and then guiding you back to himself and his ways. You know, that's the beauty of God's grace. It's like gravity is always there sustaining us and bringing us to what is real and what is good. You know, there's, there's so many things that we could say about how we do this, but I just want to leave us with one thought. You know, a major reason we lose these battles is because of our forgetfulness. We forget what God has done for us and what he will continue to do for us. You know, if you look at Hosea 2, 13b, it's just the second half of the verse. It says that he and Israel and us went after her other lovers and forgot me, says the Lord. When we forget what we have in God and who he is and what he has done for us, we get so easily sucked into the shiny things of this world that will only corrupt. You know, in a major way to combat our forgetfulness is through gratitude, to expressing our gratefulness to God. You know, as the musicians come back up, I just want you to have 30 seconds, 45 seconds to do just that. To express your gratitude to your creator, potentially your redeemer and sustainer for what he's done for you and what he will continue to do for you.